One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or, or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Kate Spencer. And I'm Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. And before we welcome you into this celebration of self-care, we would just like to remind you that you can visit our website, forever35podcast.com. For links to everything we mentioned on the show, you can follow us over on Twitter at Forever35Pod, Instagram at Forever35Podcast. And we do have the Forever35 Facebook group where the password is Serums. And we also must mention that there is a Forever35 subreddit. Yes, indeed. Um, and you can sign up for the newsletter at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. You can also reach us via voicemail and text at 781-591-0390. And of course, you can always email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. We do really enjoy receiving your voicemails, texts, and emails. So please send them, continue to send them over. Yeah. And if you know you like the show, please subscribe. We also deeply appreciate positive reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you are inspired uh, to do that, we 
appreciate it. It really helps the show get seen. Yeah. Yesterday I was at uh, the Apple store and the person helping me was, was like, I was explaining what I needed and I do some audio stuff. And they were like, what's your podcast? Then they looked it up right there and subscribed. That's amazing. I was so flattered. And then they told another person who worked at the Apple store about it. <laughs> and I was, I did say, I was like, Ooh, you're going to know a lot about me very quickly. So just be warned. <laughs> just know. That's amazing. Just know there's, it's, it's TMI galore and that's how we like it. Love it. So anyway, hello to that person if they do happen to listen. Thank you so much for subscribing. Yeah, please. So I want to get cozy and sit back and I want you to just describe to me your system, the Dory <laughs> system, because <laughs> I love when a person attempts to get their shit together and it works. This is literally like going to titillate me in an erotic way. Tell us everything. Wow. Okay. So as listeners of this podcast know, I have been on a journey for quite some time trying to figure out a system that works for me, a scheduling to do, just time management, all of that stuff, just kind of getting it together and like not feeling overwhelmed by what I need to get done. And I've tried apps. I've tried mm -hmm. planners. I've mm -hmm. tried Google Calendar tasks, Google Keep, a gajillion Google products. <laughs> and like nothing has really stuck. I've kept, mm. I, I use Google Calendar because that's what I use. Like we use it for work. I use it for personal stuff. So that has kind of not changed. Um, but the other stuff, it's just been like a hodgepodge. Now, well, I question. almost, well, I, yes, please, Kate. Describe question. for us, for our listeners, for me, how you feel when you are systemless. Like, what is the struggle? What is the feeling inside? How does it make you, like, I'm just, like, what is the kind of emotional, not, not to mention like the scheduling challenges and the staying on top of things, but like, what are the ways in which it feels when you feel like you aren't, do not have this stuff under control? It's very stressful. Yeah. Is that too deep of a question? Well, I just, I, not to sound like Cody Rigsby, but like, it just might not be that deep. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's more just a it just really. It just really stresses me out. And it and I hate the feeling of forgetting something that I oh. need to get done. Yeah, me too. Especially like a deadline. Like there, I mean, sometimes there have been things that I've just like literally forgotten. <laughs> and we're like not talking fully, like brushing your teeth. We're talking like a work commitment that you yes, have due. Yeah. Yes. That I've just been like, oh, I just forgot. Like I forgot about that. Um, which is not a thing that used to happen. Mm. But I think, I think partly being, you know, Forever 35 is like our job, but I also do a, a ton of other things. Yeah, you write a ton of freelance work. And I had a book, I have a yeah. two year old, like, there's just like a lot going on that was different when I didn't have a kid. And when I had a full time job, that was like my sole focus. Yes. 
you know, um, like there's just I, I feel like I guess what I what I'm saying is I feel like in my life there's there's just a lot of moving parts, which I know is not unique to me, but this is what I'm dealing with. Um and so and I and I feel like the the pain point was always like the to-do list. It wasn't so much like worrying that I was gonna miss a meeting, although that happened a couple times, but like that's generally not the issue. It's more like things that I just need to get done that aren't like on a schedule. You know so what now saying? I do know what you're saying. Thank you for digging deep into that. You're and welcome. now what has worked? Well, okay. So I I had a I had I had a system that was like sort of working where mm. I was keeping like a pad of paper by my bed and I was like brain dumping every night onto this pad of paper like things that I needed that I knew I needed to get done the next day. And that like kind of worked because I do find that like at the end of the day I'm kind of like just thinking about stuff and I'll I'll think about something that I need to get done and I, and I, having a place to write it down was helpful. But like I was still missing a lot of stuff. So one of the things that I did a couple months ago when this came up was I downloaded an app called Amazing Marvin that I was like, oh, maybe this will be the thing. But I also bought a paper planner. Now, I was a little reluctant to do this because I think you... I think you've had a similar experience where there's like a graveyard of planners. Yeah. If, if <laughs> listeners could see the us in the video that video conversation we're having, like behind me is like two shelves worth of just notebooks and planners with like three notebooks, pages planners, filled out. Yeah, journals. It's, and it's always, yes. And it's always like, this will be the one. So I was a little reluctant to add to this graveyard, but. I took a look online at this moleskin planner that seemed up my alley. It is just, it is just called, I believe it's just called the moleskin planner. Um, yes, it is. It is the, the moleskin class. I think the moleskin classic planner. Okay. What I what did I like about this planner? I liked that it was not dated. So, mm. you know, I wouldn't turn around in six months and be like, "Oh, well, this is useless because I haven't started it." Uh -huh. So, I like that aspect of it. I could start it whenever. I also liked that it had like to kind of like check boxes. It had a week. You could see a week at a time. Because I realized one of the things that I didn't love about my previous system was it was just day to day. And I didn't really have a sense of like what I would need to get done like enough week kind of thing. But then I didn't do anything with it. I, I didn't. I didn't write in it for like two months. And in the meantime, I stopped using Amazing Marvin. It just wasn't really working for me. I started scribbling on pieces of paper again. Then the other day I was like. <clears throat> you know what? I'm going to give this planner a try. So, look, this could be the kind of thing where next week I'm like, I stopped using the planner. But I will say, I like it so far. I'm holding it up so Kate can see. Oh, yeah. Like, is that is that one week or one day? This is one week. Okay. Okay. So, it has a square for a weekly plan, which I like because... 
I do like a brain dump. I like where I can just be like, oh, these are some things that I know I need to get done this week. Of course. But then it has individual days and it has things that I can check off and then it has a little more space for notes. So here's the big conclusion, Kate. The TLDR. This is what I have realized. I like having my calendar online. I don't need a planner where I like write down my meetings. I like having that in Google Calendar and I don't want to change that. I see. But I like having a physical paper to-do list. I just need that. And I like having the week view. So what I have been doing is I've been leaving it open on my desk. Hmm. Like taunting you. Calling to you. I don't see it as taunting me. It's more just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to. Supporting you. Yeah, it's supporting me. Like, it's like, oh, I need to do that. Um, so, look, I realize this was rather long-winded, but, you know, you did ask. You said this was like, what did you describe this as? Erotic and tiddly. <laughs> Erotic, yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Okay. And I, and I can Moleskin. like plan ahead. So like, you know, I if like in 2 weeks I know I need to like read a book to prepare for one of our interviews. Mm-hmm. I can just jot it down on that week and then I will remember to do it. Yeah. Okay, this is good. This is good because that's uh there are a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of moving pieces. And then it also has some features that I don't know if I'm going to necessarily take advantage of. They have, there's like a monthly plan thing. Oh, I like that. So I only have two things written down for August. Like I don't, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to consult that so much. They also have a space for a yearly plan and a space for a four month plan. <laughs> so well, you know, a lot of like... We did, yes. Dory, like early on in our show, set things like four-month intentions, six-month intentions, yearly intentions. Perhaps that could be something you do there. Yeah. 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 All right. I'm intrigued. So I just wanted to share this. I support you. I'm excited for you. Anytime I feel like one of us finds a solution, it feels really exciting thank you thank you kate (sighs) well we have been talking about this planner for 12 minutes we have but you also have some exciting new it's not really exciting but i did want to i disagree okay it is exciting you know as i talked on a on i feel like this whole year i've been kind of like yammering about my desire to be in nature a little bit more and experiencing petrichor and and just kind of trying to tap into the world around me and, and how nature really is, I think, a crucial part of, you know, grounding myself for oneself and caring for oneself and how yeah. it can often just so easily get like pushed aside. So I... I have like a running joke with my best group of best friends from college that I really want to go on a backpacking trip. And like most of them are really genuinely not interested in this idea. But why is this a joke? Well, it's like a bit like we're like, we can't wait to plan like once this pandemic's over, like I'll go on a trip together again. And I'm I'm like to the mountains where we'll backpack and everyone's like, LOL to the spa. That's the joke. 
Got it, got it, got it. Got now, it, got a, it. A, a couple of them would backpack with me, but I think most are not into it. So, okay. I, but, but I am genuinely, I have backpacked, not a ton. I was probably like in my late teens, early 20s when I did it most. And I, it's something I want to get back into. So, my first, rather than just like tomorrow setting off to the wilderness to live my best, like, you know, Cheryl Strayed moment, I am going to start committing to doing some hikes around Los Angeles, like that are a little bit more rugged than, you know, your Runyon. You know, here in LA, we have a lot of quote unquote hikes, but a lot of them are paved or very well traveled. Um, a hot place to see, you know, models, reality stars, places like Runyon Canyon, uh, Fryman Canyon, various canyons. So I'm, I'm doing, I'm trying to kind of really dig into uh, more challenging or off the beaten path hikes here in the greater Los Angeles area. And I have, well, Anthony and I are going to go tomorrow because I've set up one for some friends later in the month, but he and I are going to go do it tomorrow just so I can like just scope it out and get a feel for what it actually is. And I'm thinking I might like finally invest in some hiking boots and maybe some hiking poles. Okay, you are really getting into it. <laughs> and also maybe like a camelback water backpack. Because I just normally hike okay. in like my sneakers and then they get all dusty and my ankles are wobbly. And so I'm like, if I really, I think I may just want to like level up a little bit. I'm Kate, not going to like suit up, you know, and I, spend money on a hobby that I don't have yet. But I have hiking boots. Oh, so like, <laughs> okay. You should get hiking boots. I think I need some hiking boots. My ankles are very delicate. They are not very strong. So <laughs> I'm definitely, I roll them on a consistent uh, basis. But we have, I mean, we just have such great access to the outdoors here that I really want, like, there's no excuse, you know? And I, and, and I think sometimes what I tend to do is be like, I must go and like hike the Appalachian Trail instead of just being like, oh, hey, I could drive 20 minutes and be in a really beautiful spot that will take me two hours you know like i tend to create a big dream rather than like focus on the reality that would be accessible to me mm-hmm. anyone else do that you kind of like jump ahead oh yeah you know i think that's I, mean? a, I do i think that's a very natural human tendency yeah so i'm going to be doing a hike um later this month like kind of a malibu um ocean view thing that i'll do tomorrow and Dory, I just oh. want you to know you're welcome on all these hikes if you would like to participate. Oh, thank you. That is really kind. Um, let me know. Anyway, so, and hey, maybe there's a Forever 35. I mean, we, we've received a lot of, like, we do have a lot of very active outdoorsy members of the podcast I community. there was a Forever 35, like, outdoors group. Ooh, Am I making Can someone up? add me? I thought we'll there find was. It. We'll find it. Yes, there is. Forever there 35 is? Outdoors. Stop. Yes, there this is? exists. Forever. And it has eight, it has 800 people in Stop! it. Stop. Are you kidding me? Out? No, I am not kidding you. How is this possible? How a, is this? A group what? for Forever 35 <laughs> listeners who love or want to love the outdoors. All experience levels welcome. What? 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 <laughs> I can't even... <laughs> That Look. blows my mind. Yeah. So what? Go ahead. Oh join my gosh! I'm almost in tears. That's so amazing. Okay, I'm going to join right now. My favorite question: What do Kate and Dory love to talk about? I'm going to put serums, comma. I think. <laughs> do you think they'll think it's funny? Serums? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? 
JK, it's Kate. Okay, sorry, uh, I'm just joining. I'm joining Forever 35 Outdoors if anyone is seeing my request to join. Okay. Wow, 810 members. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay. This, this, this community of listeners never ceases to amaze me. I, I'm floored. Okay, well, we've got to take a break so I can come to help. <laughs> oh, wait. Before we take a break, oh, yeah. a couple things. Okay. I got the name of the planner wrong. Oh, okay. Clara, do you want to... It wanna- is actually the Pro Project Planner. By Moleskin. Yes, yes. It is the Pro P- Project Planner. It is not the Classic Planner. Okay. So, we will link to it in the show notes, but I just want to be clear that it is not the planner that I originally mentioned. And you okay, can get it you. in different sizes. So, so I should order like a very big one. You should one. order the biggest one. Yes, Kate. <laughs> I tend to order large. Charles. For sure. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Great. Thanks for that info, Dory. You are so welcome. Um, and then also, before we take a break, I want to read our oh my God. guest's bio. I, for some very... reason in my brain, we were doing a mini episode and I completely forgot that we get to share our interview with Kate on this episode. Sorry. Yeah, Go we ahead. have a very impressive guest for this episode. Not that not that all of our guests are not impressive. I should I should qualify that statement. Um, but we had we have Kate Mann today. So let's tell our listeners a little bit about Kate. Kate Mann is the author of Entitled, How Male Privilege Hurts Women, which is just out in paperback, and an associate professor of philosophy at Cornell University, where she has taught since 2013. She did her graduate work at MIT and was a junior fellow in the Harvard Society of Fellows. She's also the author of Down Girl and has written for the New York Times, Boston Review, Huff Post, the Times Literary supplement and politico among other publications she was recently named one of the world's top 10 thinkers by prospect in the uk she's amazing yeah she's amazing dory i did want to give our listeners just a just a loving content warning a little bit because we do Mm. you know we do get into topics like sexual harassment yes uh i mean while we also talk about like furniture restoration but you know just fyi this is a cw for you yeah, so Touchy sexual harassment, ahead. sexual assaults. Um, so, yeah. All right. We are going to take a short break, and then we will be right back with Kate. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish 
on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass, but this year I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes, Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events, there's weddings, there's nights out, it's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Superpower Short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let Let me just tell you why. Yeah, get okay, into it. Okay, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say, like, I, I I, don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it, like, the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just, like, sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh, God, like, get this off of me. <laughs> No, thank once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it could like, be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. 
Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, If you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Kate, welcome to Forever 35. We are so excited to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be on the show. I'm a huge fan. Oh, yeah. I've seen, I kind of seen your name pop up in, you know, the Facebook group. And I was like, wait a second. (laughs) I know who she is. This is a Um, very well known philosopher. Yeah. (laughs) So we were really excited um, that you were a fan of the show and that you wanted to come on. So let's just kick things off with a a kind of big question, because I'm assuming that uh, some people have not read um, Entitled. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you, you you know, you make this distinction between sexism and misogyny in this book and your previous book. And can you just explain the difference and why you focused on misogyny in this book? Yeah, absolutely. So, I think of sexism as an ideology or a set of beliefs that says um, something false, which is that men are naturally well-suited to historically male-dominated positions in leadership, in business, in politics, um, in sports, and that women are kind of naturally well-suited to feminine-coded roles, things like caregiving, nurturing, um, and it turns out there's very scanty empirical evidence that there's any um, natural division of labor along gendered lines like that. 
Mm -hmm. Um, But in contrast, I think of misogyny as kind of metaphorically the law enforcement branch of patriarchy. So it kind of kicks in when sexism is on the wane, in fact, and enforces gender roles when people are, in fact, breaking them and not staying in their gendered lane. So I was kind of interested in the way misogyny in policing and enforcing um, gendered norms and expectations has actually, I think, in some ways come to the fore in recent years as various myths about gender haven't been enough to keep people in line socially. Um, and as we've seen, of course, um, an emerging social consciousness that many people aren't boys, girls, and women are in fact non-binary. Um, we've seen horrible kind of political backlash against an emerging gender consciousness that anyone can do anything and that lots of people don't fit tidily into a gendered box. So I think of misogyny as kind of kicking in to enforce gendered roles, um, especially when society is starting to make real egalitarian social progress. Oh, no, I'm already pissed off, Kate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm already just... So essentially, like when, when, I mean, I'm always pissed off about this, but Mm -hmm. when strides are made in combating sexist systems, misogyny is like the leash that pulls us back toward them. Is is that kind of a way of visualizing? Yeah. Okay. That's a perfect metaphor. I mean, another metaphor that I sometimes find helpful because so much misogyny is internalized by girls and women well as non-binary folks, um, is to think about it as kind of a shock collar, the kind of thing that has been used historically to keep a dog behind an invisible fence by shocking them when and causing them pain and suffering when they're trying to go beyond a certain boundary that's artificially demarcated. Um, so this idea that yeah, keeping people on a leash um, and also causing them to self-censor and self-silence. Um, that's a big part of what the picture is all about. Can can we talk about this idea of internalized misogyny? Because I, yeah. I've been actually reflecting on it a little bit in my mm-hmm. own actions and behavior and work and, and all sorts of things. And how, how do we even begin to dig in to mm. that. And and I guess a follow-up question would be what role do you think it plays in the conversations we have about self-care? Yeah, well that that was actually one place my mind immediately went to because one reason I've been kind of drawn to your podcast and this great community you created is that I think we're seeing people increasingly reclaiming feminine coded um stuff yet you know, cultural uh, products like, you know, movies, books, TV, and also practices like practices of skincare and makeup as something that, of course, has um, problematic aspects, sexist aspects, racist aspects that you've often discussed um, in, you know, a really illuminating way. But it can also be a kind of empowering way of reclaiming feminine energy and consciousness in a way that's not shame-based, it's not apologetic, and it sees the value in traditionally feminine ways of being in the world that have often been sneered at and dismissed. Um, So I think that that's part of it. Um, Part of, for me at least, overcoming internalized misogyny has been realizing, oh, I actually do like this feminine-coded thing. I do, for example, 
um, you know, I, I made this transition in my work life from being someone who was interested in the most masculine aspects of philosophy, like logic and um, computer science, which is kind of philosophy adjacent. But I was interested in the purely symbolic abstract parts of my discipline. And it took um, a real feminist consciousness raising and I think a reversal of internalized misogyny for me to say, I'm actually interested in stuff that is more traditionally feminine, like ethics and the ethics of caring for people and feminist thought is really exciting to me. Um, and I may have historically devalued that in my you know, 20s because I did have this internalized misogyny that I was working on and I'm still really working on combating. I think it's interesting just kind of <clears throat> reflecting on pop culture a little bit more is the, the way that misogyny influences the cultural conversations around these things. Like I think mm -hmm. the things that are essentially con uh, considered like for women or by women, um, you know, I'm just thinking about like everything from like fandoms, like the one direction fandom to interests in skincare and beauty. And it's, I really struggle with uh, like how do we like how do we participate in these things but also in a way that isn't um participating in the misogynistic aspects mm -hmm. of them like I, I i honestly sometimes it's so hard especially when i think about the conversation around beauty and the way in which like you mentioned it relates to sexism and racism and capitalist structures mm -hmm. but then also like can we just enjoy it and have that i, I don't know i don't this, yeah. is, this is something we've debated on this show a lot and i don't i don't mm -hmm. this is why i'm glad you're here so you can tell us the definitive answer <laughs> well i I'm going to be very disappointing because even though I'm an <laughs> ethicist by training, I'm actually very bad at prescriptions. I'm much more in the vein of actually this prescription sucks or this one is, mm. um, you know, not, um, it's not the case that we should feel guilty for this or that because it's all internalized bullshit. Um, <laughs> if I can use that word, but, um, I mean, I tend to think I'm kind of a realist about these things. I mean, so much of our tastes and what we find soothing in particular is shaped by gender codes and gendered expectations, but that doesn't automatically mean that it's something that we have to combat. There can also be value in those traditions and those practices. Um, but sometimes, like, the answer is to the conundrum of why women are into skincare isn't to minimize women's interest. It's to say um, that, you know, this might be something that people of any gender should be, um, you know, thinking of as an option for them that isn't, if they're interested, it isn't emasculating, it isn't shameful, it isn't, you know, anything in particular. It's just something that can be a really powerful form of self-soothing and self-care for some people. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is just, you know, my, I'm 38, so maybe this is kind of the elderly millennial in me speaking, but I, I feel like TikTok gives me a bit of hope when it comes to these kinds of changing ways of relating to beauty practices. Um, I see a lot of TikTok, uh, TikToks where the aim of, you know, a beauty TikToker isn't to make herself look smaller or slighter or to kind of fade into the background. It's to like say something about herself. It really does feel like self-expression um, in a way that does feel um, a little bit subversive and 
like it's not necessarily buying into all the crap that, um, yeah, at the same time, it is important to recognize that there is this edifice of crap when it comes to beauty norms and expectations. Um, but relating to them on our own terms seems to me there's still be possible. It's still possible to combat diet talk and diet culture and have a healthier relationship with one's body. It's still possible to, you know, delight in mascara and know that there are kind of, a, there's a creepy history of trying to make people's eyes look more childlike as women. Um, I think, you know, we can hold those contradictions um, in our heads and, and navigate it. I think you did give us the answer. That feels better to me. <laughs> I do. That makes me feel better. <laughs> it's an answer, I guess. It's it's how I've muddled through thinking I do enjoy a lot of these things. And, and yeah, they have problematic roots and histories that reclaiming is possible. Um, I think it really is. Um, I wanted to go back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier in terms of internalized misogyny and and also go back to something that you bring up in your book, which is this concept of empathy, mm. um, which you define as the disproportionate or inappropriate sympathy extended to a male perpetrator over his similarly or less privileged female targets or victims in cases of sexual assault, harassment, and other misogynistic behavior. Um, and I'm wondering if you could talk about some of the examples of empathy in the book and also why women might have empathy. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of a central part of my project um, in writing about these themes, because one of the difficulties is that as a woman, um, you know, I don't want to generalize too much, but I think I and many other women have been socialized very much to extend sympathy and empathy in ways that are um, generous. And that can be a very good thing. Like sympathy and empathy are wonderful qualities. They're wonderful capacities, which in many ways make the world go round. Mm -hmm. But reality being what it is, I think that often they get distorted and the people who end up enjoying the most sympathy and empathy are in fact the powerful white perpetrators of pretty terrible misdeeds like sexual assault, um, sexual harassment, even domestic violence, homicides. And you get cases like the case of Brock Turner, um, the Stanford um, uh, swimmer, as he was always called in the popular presses, as if his swimming kind of overrode the fact that he'd committed a sexual assault against Chanel Miller, who um, was kind of erased in the subsequent discourse, which often centered around his... Um, potential loss of a bright future, the loss of his swimming scholarship to Stanford, him having to face consequences for his actions. Um, and of course, there was then a subsequent, I think, um, in most cases, deserved backlash against the sympathy extended to Brock Turner by the judge and many people in the media and his friends and family. Um, and the most powerful corrective to that empathy has been Chanel Miller writing her brilliant memoir, Know My Name, um, that movingly, um, it's kind of an act of the refusal of erasure. Um, she makes her voice that um, came to the fore in her moving victim impact statement, but she makes her voice um, 
the center of the story for mm-hmm. a harrowing and really incisive book-length memoir. Um, that, yeah, I think that's the way we push back against sympathy often is saying, well, who actually deserves our sympathy and moral attention here? It's primarily the victims of these men's crimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I know it's it's such a hard topic to think through. I think that's been another reason I'm I'm really drawn to self care practices because I find it so upsetting to think about. Um, you know, these are topics that they almost viscerally stress me out, even after yeah. years working yeah. on these themes. Um, you know, they're things that I think should um, engender a visceral reaction and. That stress reaction is kind of healthy, but it does take a toll. Yeah. Uh, how? So yeah, let's talk about your own self care. Yeah. I mean, how how do you take care of yourself in light of this work that you do? Yeah, you know, I so I wrote my first book um, that came out just before the Me Too movement hit. Um, it was published like almost the week that the Me Too movement was. You know, popularized across it wow. has been led by Tarana Burke for over a decade, but was popularized late in 2017. And during the whole process of writing that book for some four years, I was so distressed by talking about misogyny and sexual assault and rape culture um, that I made this decision that if I ever wrote another book, which um, you know I did, entitled with my second book, made a decision to approach it completely differently. No more like 12 hour work days, no more writing binges, no more kind of sitting cramped, uncomfortable, trying to just like finish this, um, unpleasant thing that I had to say. I completely changed my approach and wrote for probably no more than two hours a day at most. Um, gave my, gave myself really strict limits as to when I would stop work in a day. And then afterwards would really focus on things that just made me feel safe, safe and soothed. Um, you know, things just as simple as walking around my house, kind of not um, doing anything particularly useful, but just like straightening up a little bit and listening to a podcast. Like often you were in my ears, um, mm. you know, just um, I do a lot of vintage furniture shopping, you know, something that gives me joy and comfort. Um you know, just about everything in my house is um, a vintage piece that I, I liked the practice of just like walking through vintage stores and yeah. picking stuff out that um, would, you know, later give me a sense of security in my environment. Uh, I don't know if you can see in the background, I have a little antique dollhouse that yes. um, my husband and I have been painting for my oh. daughter um, at night uh, to match our house. Uh, so that when she's a little older, she can relate that house to our house. But sort of having an environment that feels very um, peaceful and restful and like I have a modicum of control in it. Yeah. I was just talking about, I was just talking about that with Kate on a, on an episode about how I feel like my house is not giving me that kind of peaceful <laughs> vibe right now. And it's like, it's stressing me out. So um, I'm glad that you have that in your house. I mean, it's also like hard. I, this was before I had a kid. And so things are much more chaotic now. Um, but 
Yeah, I just, um, I mean, it's, it's another kind of tough balance because it's also labor. It's also something that yes. women historically and still currently devote a lot more time to making our environments peaceful and happy and, you know, um, clean and nice to be in. Yeah. So it's something I kind of have an ambivalent relationship with, but at the end of the day, feeling soothed after working on stressful subjects has kind of been, yeah, a huge, um, boon to being able to write this book without feeling awful. So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm. Okay. Which is okay. I know. visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, One Skin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel. I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving, that sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Okay, we're back. In these moments of like massive kind of frustration where it feels like the needle is not moving, yeah. what do you look toward that does make you make you feel good or or do you, do you even feel feel hopeful about kind of the um the, evol the you know the evolution and hopefully the eventual destruction of misogyny yeah i mean i i know this is a really controversial answer but in some ways i don't feel hopeful i feel hopeful about progress being made but I also think progress is often precisely what leads to backlash and misogynist resentment and racist resentment and huge amounts of violence and destruction. 
Um, and I guess I don't always feel hopeful. I, I often feel just a sense of um, uncertainty and um, blankness about the future. And more than feeling hopeful, I think what I feel is that this is a fight that we have to be in. I mean, in a way that is, you know, sensitive to the fact that we can't be fighting all the time and, you know, everyone needs to also live their lives and experience joy and rest. Um, but yeah, sometimes I found it most healing in a way to reject what can be almost like a feminine coded mandate to be hopeful and to let myself feel those moments of despair and rage and just like, why are we dealing with this in 2021? I mean, how are we still dealing with this? Yeah. Um, so that kind of rejection of that norm to be hopeful is sometimes, ironically, what makes it um, the whole exercise more feasible for me. I love that. I really love <laughs> permission to not yes. to be hopeful. You're right. This this expectation of like optimism and hopefulness. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, Rebecca Traister's book, Good and Mad. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I love that book. And I'm reminded, too, of um, Soraya Chamali's book that came out in a um, a similar moment, um, Rage Becomes Her, where, yeah, I love those books for their really grittily identifying this powerful emotional norm that says, as a woman, you can't just be angry yes. or you can't just feel rage and sometimes yes. I think it's it's perfectly appropriate in light of all of it gestures to the world uh, <laughs> to feel anger and rage and that can be very fruitful and productive but even if it's not it can just be apt it can just make sense mm-hmm. to feel that in this moment Kate could mm-hmm. we could we hear more about I, I would love to hear more about how you got into vintage furniture, <laughs> hunting, acquiring, and just kind of take us through maybe in detail, like what, what sparked that? And if that, if, if someone's hearing that and is like, oh yes, this resonates, where does one begin? Yeah. Well, I love this question because I've always loved mid-century furniture. Um, I've you know really enjoyed seeing it, but when I lived, so I did my, um, I went to grad school in Cambridge. Um, and it was always out of my price range. Um, it was always just a little out of reach. Um, so this isn't a helpful tip, but when I moved to Ithaca, it turns out um, there's an amazing vintage furniture scene here, um, which is so much more affordable um, because, you know, a bunch of people come through and you know um, sell their stuff or, you know, retired academics or whatever. Um, and somehow I just stumbled onto this, these couple of local places that are these amazing antique places and um, thrift stores that just have really cool pieces. So I would go, you know, I try to um, actually, I first went because I was in a lot of back pain and I was just looking for one comfortable chair for my office. And I thought my chances of finding something comfortable were much higher if I could just sit in it rather than ordering something online, which I'd often done. Um, but I just, I really loved, um, so I did find that comfortable chair. But then I really loved the process of just not being able to pick out a particular color 
not having a lot of choice and repurposing something that would otherwise, you know, not be useful um, and maybe restoring it. So I, I don't do that work myself, but I found this amazing mid-century um, Danish piano and I used to play a lot of piano and it's really tiny. Um, it's uh, even missing a few keys at the, uh, you know, very trouble end um, because it's so small, but it otherwise would have gone to waste because uh, it needed extensive restoration. Um, so having kind of both a sense of like, well, this is something that can be useful to me now and is something that can be um, not like part of some big industry of environmentally dubious um you know, furniture shopping where pick everything out and it's overwhelming and also kind of destructive. But it's rather just like, yeah, this this piece of furniture exists in the world already and it could use a new home and it can be loved and perhaps restored and made new again. Um, and it will be a process. It will take years to build up, um, you know, a whole house full of the, the stuff that I love. Um, yeah, it just really became very restorative practice for me and one that was um did also put me in touch with really cool people in my community who can now pick something out that I might like and send me a picture and say, you know, thought of you and I saw this. Maybe mm. should check it out. That's so cool. Yeah, it's been very special to me. Like the dollhouse I actually found on the Instagram of my favorite um vintage place locally. Um and yeah, it was you know, they were able to bring it by the next day and now I have this cool little restored house that I can give my daughter when she's old enough to be interested in, in playing dollhouse. Could you also maybe talk about how you became interested in philosophy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. I think that did have a lot to do with maybe falling into the right thing for the wrong reasons. Um, it seemed like when I was doing my college degree, which I did in Melbourne, where I'm from in Australia, um, it seemed like the most kind of badass humanities subject to me in a way that I think is probably connected with various sexist ideas about like what's serious and what's cool. Mm. Um, but it turned out to just be something I really fell in love with as a discipline and as a practice. Um, yeah. So I, I really have been very into the idea of being a philosopher since I was like, I'm so silly to say now, but since I was 19 and I'm now wow. 38, I had really good mentors who were, um, I think crucial and making me feel confident that this was something I could do yeah. and that it was an option. Um, and but, I mean, there's also a lot of privilege involved in that. Um, you know, I, I have an academic father and so he often um, gave me a sense that he thought I would be good at philosophy and, you know, that was probably just familial wishful thinking at that point, but it did build up my confidence as a young girl mm -hmm. to hear him as an academic give me a sense that, um, yeah, he took my burgeoning ideas seriously and he wanted to hear more of them, um, as did my yeah. mother. And so that was a real gift, I think, as well as reflective of you know, pretty intense privilege. This has been a really interesting conversation, Kate. I'm <laughs> yes. so glad we got to talk to you. Well, 
I'm so glad to get to talk to you both. I, I just really admire what you've done in you know making just such a great show and yeah building a community. Um, I think that's such a huge achievement and. I just love what you've done and how you've navigated, you know, an area that can be, as you point out, it can be sensitive to work out, you know, all of the, the different aspects of it and how to, to think about these norms and expectations. Um, but yeah, to make self care and aspects of the beauty industry to make them your own, I think is really powerful and liberating. Well, thank you. That's right. And actually, before. I, yeah. I, there was another aspect of self-care I meant to mention too, which I don't know if this is TMI, but um, I'm going to say it anyway. I I am a huge proponent of, um, as someone who relatively recently gave birth, um, but of um, pelvic uh, care as self-care. Um, because despite being someone who uh, I actually had a C-section, a planned C-section for various medical reasons, but I had a lot of pelvic pain after um, mm. after giving birth. And um, my physical therapist, Corey, has been just so amazing in tackling that and in like developing a relationship with a PT. Um, and it turns out, She's actually a huge fan of your show too. What, Corey? Yeah. <laughs> so I have to give a shout out to Corey. Who, oh my gosh, that's what? so cool. Yeah. So in Ithaca, we have been, you know, doing this essential kind of self care for me of, um, you know, addressing a physical pain that I think so many women um, don't get all of the care they need. Um, postpartum just generally it's sort of expected that you'll just endure pain um, as part of being a mother and that shouldn't be that should absolutely be addressed and you know dealt with by a professional Um, but anyway yeah it's been this wonderful kind of um, experience of going to someone who um, you know cares for me and helps me care for myself and yeah who shares this um who shares this interest with me of listening to great podcasts like yours. Can I ask, oh, cool. for pelvic self-care, is it mm. like strengthening the pelvic floor, mm-hmm. um, which I only know of as like kegels? Also, this is definitely not yeah. TMI. If anything, this is like, yeah, we, need, we need to discuss this more. <laughs> uh, but what, is it, what does it look like to you? And also, how did you know that you needed to to get professional help with it? Because... Yeah. You know, you mentioned just like these things that a lot of times, uh, specifically women are just like, well, I guess this is it now. Like, I'm just going to live with this. this my pain. Body. Yeah. Totally. What uh, if someone's experiencing something like what, what would be the next steps? Like, how did you kind of yeah. know that something was off? Well, I, I would say a note of caution is that kegels uh, or kegels are almost the opposite mm. of what I needed. So lots oh, of people, um, experience much more muscle guarding and tightness due to I think I think what I had was some nerve damage which was causing pain in like a variety of situations including sex including just like using a tampon mm-hmm. um and I don't even want to imagine what say using a diva cup would have been like had I tried it it was just really painful um and so yeah I hope my saying this can help 
um, someone out there um, know that that isn't normal and isn't how it has to be, um, and that there are specialists who can really help address that pain. Um, and for sure, not to do what I was, I was sort of tempted to think, oh yeah, maybe I'll just do some kegels and improve tone or whatever. But it was actually, I think, would have made things worse um, because, and again, this kind of somewhat graphic, but I think there's a misogynist myth that all women should be as tight as possible and should be made tighter, which is very much, you know, an element of misogyny. It's kind of brilliantly um, explored in Carmen Marie Machado's The Husband's Stitch, um, her short story that is the leading story in her collection, um, Her Body and Other Subjects, which is just brilliant. But yeah, and that's not always true. Sometimes, um, you know, there are a whole host of problems that can be differently addressed and addressed in gentle and effective and um, knowledgeable ways. Um, so, yeah, I, it's something I feel kind of passionate about because researching this last book, I found so many instances where women's pain is just not taken seriously, especially black women's pain. Um, and so, you know, hopefully many people know the statistics about black women being three to four times more likely to experience maternal mortality during or after childbirth, which is just horrific. Um, but it is also worth saying that there's a dearth of aftercare um, for all women and, again, particularly black women. Um, and I think this also holds with Indigenous women. Um, yeah, like having a whole person grow inside you can cause a lot of um, issues and complications and having a kind of um, – open conversation about pain and how to address it and um, the knowledge that it isn't just something to put up with um, as well as material resources to support people going through this. Um, That's something I've become a really passionate proponent of. Do you have, um, I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you brought that up. (laughs) Well, good. I'm I'm curious if you have thoughts on how, you know, as we talk about allyship a lot on this podcast, like mm-hmm. what are what are things people can do to help change or push toward change with statistics like that? Because, you know, we have talked about that a lot, mm-hmm. but um I I would love to know, you know, as as a, a white woman and a white a mom and a person who's mm-hmm. been through um maternal health care, what I could do to be a proponent of change in that statistic is, yeah. is there stuff that is uh, that you see that can be can really be done or that someone no, I like really you know love that old question. Me i mean i i think my own role in this has been kind of um i think similar in many ways probably to the role that, that you're playing of kind of raising awareness and raising um openness about this conversation and making it something that is normal and appropriate for white women to discuss and an issue that isn't seen as, um, you know, somehow shameful or embarrassing to bring up, you know, issues that, that do have to do with gynecological care in particular. 
But I also think it's probably a good idea, you know, in some of these contexts to directly ask your provider, you know, um, how are you serving the community? Um, are there, um, you know, does your um, practice, does it reach a representative um, a representative population in terms of not just catering to rich white ladies? Um, I mean, I think that's a question that's worth asking, even if it's an awkward conversation to bring up, because so often there is de facto segregation within the healthcare system in these ways that, um, you know, I, I just really... I really do hope for a world in which everyone can get the care that they so richly deserve and are entitled to. Um, you know, despite having written a book with the somewhat pejorative title of entitled, entitlement isn't a dirty word. People are entitled to many things, including, crucially, good health care that is responsive to their needs regardless of gender, race, being cis versus trans, being queer, um, being, you know, someone who's in a larger body, all of these um, forms of marginalization, of course, intersect and compound such that, you know, there are so many bodies just not being served by our medical community. You know, think of you know, what a black, fat, trans woman goes through to get the care that she so solely deserves and needs. Um, so. Yeah, I think starting to ask those questions might be something I need to work on more. Well, thank you for that. It's really helpful. Ah, well, Kate. Kate, this thank you been, again. Yeah, this has really you. been so, it's been eye-opening. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Um, yeah, it was really great to get to talk to you. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I'm just delighted to get to chat with you all and thank you for your wonderful question all right well kate was so was cool kate. yeah she was so cool it was really really cool to get to talk to her and i don't know if we've spoken to many philosophers no i don't think we have like what an amazing title like oh yeah i'm just i'm a philosopher like that's incredible I'm a philosopher. I know. It's so cool. And one who thinks about self-care. Yes. In such a like practical and smart way. You know, because like yeah. she really has to implement it as to do her to do the work that she cares about. Self-care has to be a part of that work. I thought that was really interesting. Yes, I also appreciated that her self-care was antiquing, which I don't think mm. we have discussed as a as a mode of self-care. No, and maybe like I would love to talk more about that because antiquing, vintage shopping, like secondhand searching, there is a whole community of people who find that incredibly satisfying. And I, I've never really excelled in that area, but I mm -hmm. I would be interested in dabbling. Yeah, I I I used to be much more into it. Um and I bought I would, you know, I buy a lot of things on eBay and it really enjoyed going to secondhand shops. And and now I'm more in a mode where I 
don't want to accumulate more stuff. Well, we have talked. Yes, you are. You are freeing yourself. Is I'm really trying where to free you're myself. at. Yeah. yeah. But you know, from where I sit, I can see my lovely co- collection of vintage pictures. Mm. I love your picture collection. They're really cool. Anyway, all right, let's talk about intentions. Okay. Okay. Well, I believe the last time we spoke, I um, was really trying to experience, as mentioned previously, petrichor, my favorite word. Yes. Now. And, you know, I as I'm back in California, I did spend six weeks in the beautiful granite state of New Hampshire with my family. And, you know, on my last day, I took a long walk. I cried. I got on a kayak and I paddled the entirety of uh, this small lake. And um, I just was, I just tried to soak it in. Now, petrichor is like the smell of the earth. And I'm now using the word to mean something else, meaning just the outside. (laughs) But I just was trying to, you know, be in nature. And it was really, really nice. Um, So, and I'm trying to keep it going here in California. And this week, Dory, I have ordered... And I will link to this in the showsy notesies because it's a great product. <laughs> the showsy notesies. The showsy notesies. It's a Mophie like mega Apple product charger that I have set up in my kitchen. So it's where I can put my phone. It's where I can keep my headphones, which I lose constantly, and where I can keep my Apple Watch. I have too many Apple products. But what I've been doing every night this week is before I go to bed, I drop all those products off at their little hotel room on this charging stand. And then I go into my bedroom and I don't see my phone anymore and I don't see my watch. And it's been really interesting. Now, look, we've tried this a million times on this show, but I'm kind of feeling it right now. So uh, I'm going to try to use my outside the bedroom product charger all week and see how I feel. That is so cool. Yeah. How about you? you? Thank you. Um, well, last time we talked, I mentioned that I was in a real rut and Mm. I was trying to kind of navigate the rut. Um, I feel like I'm like getting out of it maybe a little bit. Good. I'm hopeful that I will be able to like claw my way out a little bit more this week. Um, and you know, as part of that, my intention this week is to just kind of get back into yoga. Here you been, are, back on yeah, the mat again. I had been doing yoga like pretty regularly, and then like with the, in the last few months, I just kind of stopped doing it, and I feel like my body is craving it. I did it yesterday because I can. I feel like I pulled my entire butt muscle, so Ooh. I did it. Yeah, and it was great. So I'm going to do it again today. Ooh, mm. that's so fun! Yeah, maybe we'll be in the same class virtually. Yeah, maybe we will. Well, on that note. Let us remind you that this show, Forever 35, is is hosted and produced by you and I, Dora Shafrir and Kate Spencer, and it's produced and edited by Sammy Junio. And Sam Reed is our project manager, and our network partner is Acast. And we will talk to you later. Bye, everyone. <laughs>